Welcome to MedTech Chat, where we discover the latest healthcare tools, device technology, as well as research approaches. We'll be talking to designers, insights professionals, and other executives to understand how MedTech is helping patients and those caring for them now and in the future. So I'm excited again to be talking to Gary Monk. He's a respected global thought leader in the digital health space. He's been working in healthcare for over 20 years, with much of that time spent developing innovation solutions using digital and technology. He keeps his finger firmly on the pulse of digital health space and writes a monthly summary called Last Month in Digital Health. Thanks for joining me today, Gary. Pleasure to be here, Tom. Thanks thanks for having me on again. (laughs) Now, one of the things I've been following, obviously, is your newsletter, and you give us the you know, what happened last month uh, in digital health. So I thought maybe we could start there. And as I was looking at your newsletter, I noticed that you have these great categories that you talk about and then sort of summarize what's happening in those spaces. Uh, But one of the things that people always ask me and that now I want to ask you is to give us some of the definitions around some of these categories, you know, such as pharma, digital health, uh, health tech, wearables, you know, digital therapeutics, et cetera. Yeah, great. Now that that's that sounds great. We can we can go through that. And I agree. You know, the definitions can be often get asked about and can be a little bit um, tough as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's best if I give you maybe some examples. And, and let's start with with pharma digital health. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty broad. But where I tend to focus and where I find the audience are most interested in is really looking at. Um, Pharma, where are pharma partnering within within digital health? Um, it could be partnering or, or or perhaps buying buying companies. Just as an aside, I think pharma, uh, sorry, pharma Pfizer um, are buying a uh, company called ResApp, which is a smartphone application that can diagnose COVID and other respiratory diseases by the sound of coughing using AI. Um, so. Again, that for me would fit in, even though Pfizer are buying that company, it would fit into pharma digital health. And and, and that example with Pfizer, that particular digital health um, company could be categorized more into diagnostics. Uh, And obviously that diagnostics piece could help Pfizer uh, diagnose more COVID patients to be put on their antiviral therapy. So I sort of digress a bit, but I think it's an important illustration so I could sort of subcategorize so, so when I call it pharma digital health, it, could, it really runs the gamut from anything to do with um, using uh, partnering to improve drug discovery, um, virtual clinical trials, improve diagnostics, where, where, they're, where they're partnering or buying um, companies with expertise around digital, digital therapeutics, which has its own section, which, which, which I'll come to, or even partnering around um, using digital health to support patients. So it's... Digital health itself, we probably haven't got time to get in today, such a big definition, but anything that fits under that umbrella that pharma are actively involved in, usually partnering with a, with a technology or, or, or a startup. Um, and then I think the last thing I'd add, I'd add in that is I try to keep it quite pharma specific, but sometimes I add in other you know, med tech companies or device companies. I think I've got an example of sort of GE Healthcare um, within there and sometimes J&J Pharma or devices, but try and keep it quite pharma specific. Anyway, I'll stop my... Um, of consciousness but does that does that help or confuse more yeah no it's very helpful so so in this space we're thinking of sort of typically big pharma and either buying or partnering with some sort of uh, technology that's going to help them in what they're doing 
Exactly, yeah. And um, and it's usually big, big pharma. Sometimes it can be regional. I'm thinking of an example that was there, uh, I put in a few months ago. I think they're pronounced Tajin Pharma. They may be from Japan. Um, uh, if they forgive me, I can't name the country exactly, but I think they're sort of small, medium-sized company. And they were partnering with Jolly, a company called Jolly Good for virtual reality um, therapeutic solutions and digital therapeutics. So again, just an illustration, but can be sort of big, big, medium or smaller pharma, but most of the entries tend to be a sort of big, mid-sized pharma examples. Hmm. Okay, great. Now maybe tell us what you're thinking of when you just talk about the category of health tech. What's included and what kind of examples can you give us from last month? Yeah, I'll illustrate it with examples, but just this is probably sort of one of the, one of the most difficult because it's almost like pretty much everything could 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 fit in there. But um, it's really, um, I don't want to sort of say that it's a catch-all where if things don't necessarily fit into digital therapeutics or AI, um, they could fit into there. But um, it, it, essentially, if they're using um, technology to support health. So I'll probably give you an example um, here where I talked last month around scientists in, in Korea proposing a, a worm, a live set of worms on a chip that have been genetically modified to potentially diagnose um, lung cancer. So that's, that's in essentially using technology and it, it fits with diagnostics, but it's using mm. technology for the benefit of patients and, 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 and healthcare. Um, what I would say again is uh, this is a little bit difficult because taking, it could be things that are like that example is something that's very exciting, but it's not on the market yet. So it's got great potential or I could be talking about another example I talked about last month is something that's actually happened in the UK where hundreds of diabetes patients have been fitted with an artificial pancreas in one of the sort of first initiatives of its kind in, in, in the world uh, where they're using um, technology and an algorithm to determine the amount of insulin in their blood and make sure their blood sugar levels are, are consistent. Um, so, you know, that's also very exciting, but it's actually mm. happening. So. Hopefully that helps. It's kind of stuff that's cutting edge that may or may not happen, but it's interesting to stuff that's, wow, actually on the ground and benefiting patients, doctors and stakeholders you know, at, at the moment. So pretty broad category, but some interesting stuff in there. Hmm, that makes sense. Now, I think the next category that you have in your uh, newsletter is wearables and sensors. That seems a bit more specific. Can you give us sort of some definition or examples around that? Yeah, um, and it's probably a little bit easier to, um, you know, if you like, categorize or find things to, to, to put in here. So quite often I would end up finding news about new types of, you know, either existing wearables with new development. I'm thinking of the Fitbit example where they've just got, I think today or this week, FDA approval for passive heart rhythm monitoring. So that's something that would sort of feature in here. You know, what are the implications? Does it make a difference? Because Apple have got that already in the in there their watch. Um, so I'd have, have that in, you know, maybe any other new features or potential up and coming features. I think I've talked about the Apple Watch and uh, I think the potential developments around bl continuous blood glucose monitoring. So existing technology, which is developing further, you know, newer technology, it can be almost quite, I don't want to say niche, but I, I talked last month about a device, a medical device brand called Buzzard, if that's how you pronounce it, from Singapore. Where they're launching smartwatches um, with sleep sleep apnea detection, um, so that's that's kind of you know quite interesting. And then things that are wearables but maybe a bit different. Maybe I don't want to necessarily say controversial, but uh, 
for example, as Dyson, the vacuum cleaner manufacturer, have launched a um, product called Zone, which is essentially a mask that you wear, which um, Bluetooth headphones with a mask that purifies um, the air. And, you know, got, got a lot of people excited online, a lot of people criticizing it, but it's a bit ridiculous thing to wear. You know, it gives you fresh air, but it doesn't necessarily protect you against things, you know, COVID, and it might actually help spread COVID and arguments whether mm. it's protecting mm. or not. So that, that sort of generates quite a lot of discussion, but it's, it's, it's not, it's a bit different from your typical wearable that you've got on your wrist um, or, or, or your finger. So, um, mm. yeah. It's easier easier to categorise, but try and try and keep it quite cutting edge with some of the interesting developments. Right. Well, that's great. Yeah, I see there's lots of obviously overlap, and uh, but it's exciting to think about what all the new things are and what advances uh, we have happening. One of your categories here is also artificial intelligence, another you know big catch-all. But what kind of examples do you have in that group? Yeah, you're right. It is a bit of a catch-all. It does vary, but I find that. Um, a lot of the things that I end up finding that I, that I feel are useful to share um, tend to be from a sort of, if you like, a clinical perspective, like how, how can AI help the clinical um, workflow? Uh, for example, I think it was in last month, but I've, I've certainly shared it recently, uh, the example where artificial intelligence is used to, I believe it's pulmonary scans and actually be able to, to scan um, I think it's CT scans or maybe it's lung, lung x-rays uh, to identify if there's a problem. So basically you feed in the scans, the patient scans to the AI algorithm. And if there's not a problem at all, the doctor doesn't even need to look at it. The AI is central to that workflow. It looks at the scans and says, actually, this patient doesn't have a problem. They don't need a follow up. And it can go and trigger the patient getting an all clear letter sent to them. So it doesn't even need validating from the doctor. It's totally automatic. But obviously, if the um, AI algorithm detects there's an issue, a nodule or something else that's not quite right, inflammation in the lungs, then that's flagged and that's sent to the clinician for follow-up. So it saves a lot of time that I think 97% of um, you know, CT chest x-rays don't have an issue. But normally, a clinician would have, still have to look through those 97% of scans and spend time or a radiologist. Um, but now, you know, assuming that gets rolled out widely, it's in the pilot phase. You know, clinicians, you know, 97% of the scans they wouldn't even have to look at. Um, and then I'm sort of building on that a bit, but obviously the next developments, which I sort of see some pockets of, are NA, uh, uh, AI solutions being able to diagnose specific, um, you know, illnesses or diseases, could be whether it's lung cancer, bronchitis, pneumonia, and stuff. So you can see that AI will get more sophisticated as well as reporting and managing the cases where the patients in the all clear, specifically diagnosing different conditions that the patient's got that maybe the doctor then validates and then in the future maybe gets to the point where the doctor doesn't even need to kind of validate that the AI is so good it's actually able to say what the patient is suffering from and then you know what what the next steps are in the clinical workflow so um, there's all sorts of other examples but it tends to be around that how AI can support um, you know clinicians and the the workflow in healthcare and, and hospitals specifically. It's very exciting for me, and I love to hear it's the supporting of the clinicians that at least at this point, they're not replacing the clinicians. There's obviously a lot that, you know, AI and computers can do better than we can, but then you still have the, you know, the clinician's experience and their, you know, ability to really layer on what they think should happen. So that seems like an exciting space. It, it is, and it's an interesting subject because I think the 
when I shared that news, there was there's quite a lot of discussion that there'll be sort of pushback from radiologists. But you're right, it's not it's not directly replacing them, um, but it's saving time. But you could argue if you're saving time, you know, do you need less radiologists? But I would argue the way healthcare structured um, and the shortages of many many disciplines within healthcare there's a really big opportunity to actually redeploy doctors and radiologists, all forms of clinicians to do things that are more valuable for patients. I think it's a good thing. I'm not a radiologist. It's easy for me to say. But if you're taking them away from almost like administrative work, reviewing scans that are actually clear, the patient's not got a problem, and then redeploying their time to focus on that 3% of patients that have actually got the problem and got the issue and making their experience better. So I think it, it certainly will remodel healthcare. Um, but but yeah, a lot of lot of potential value there. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen in the past where people look at the signal to noise ratio and how difficult it is to pick up some of these signals. And if so, therefore, if the physician has more time and effort that they can dedicate to what they're good at in treating the patients exactly. and less burdened by, you know, looking through constantly, because at some point you probably reach a threshold where you really can't be looking at the scans anymore. So this kind of relieves them of that situation. Yeah, definitely. And then just looking down at some of the other work uh, that you've been categorizing. So now digital therapeutics, how is that different from some of the other stuff we're talking about? Yeah, now I'll try to keep this very, very specific. And I think you just alluded to that. There's a bit of a bit of an overlap. So if say a, a pharma company was partnering with a digital therapeutics company, um, you know, that might come in the first section around pharma pharma partnerships. Uh, but just to give you some examples uh, of what I put in um, uh, last month, uh, I actually pulled out partnerships with specific digital therapeutics companies and other health technologies or, or, or hospital systems. For example, there's a company called Rocket VR Health um, using immersive virtual reality um, therapies to help cancer patients recover. Um, and they're partnering with Massachusetts General Hospital to actually roll out their, their solution um, uh, there. Um, and then another example is um, uh, MetaMe Health, who've got a digital therapeutic for abdominal pain uh, related to irritable bowel syndrome. Um, they're partnering with Indigene, and Indigene will support their commercial rollout and to be able to get that digital therapeutic product out to a, a wider audience, some more of a commercial partnership. So. In summary, quite a lot of partnerships that are happening within digital therapeutics, also quite a number of launches, FDA approvals, what new products are, are out there in the space. Um, also, digital therapeutics that may not yet be digital therapeutics, but are actually going through the validation process. You know, they're awaiting FDA approval or they're being developed. So even though they're under digital therapeutics, they're potential digital therapeutics that are being um, you know, researched or developed. Um, and I think the last thing I'd add in as well is um, interesting new studies where a digital therapeutic is shown to be effective or um, potentially broadening it out. It's, its indication could have been used in, say, mental health or mm. depression. And maybe it's got a new study to show that it's useful. Virtual reality therapy, for, for example, could be used um, to support patients with anxiety. Mm. Um, yeah, still quite broad, but it feels a little bit more focused as well than mm -hmm. some of the other categories. Great. Now, so based on what you've been telling me here, let me see if I can summarize some of the things I think you're saying. So the digital therapeutic is really something that has gone through rigid clinical trials. And so therefore it can be prescribed, whether it's a mental app or an actual device that's used clinically. 
Does that sound like a, an easy way to categorize that? Yeah, I would say yes. My only caveat is yes, it's, it's a perfect definition. I just say from, from what I pull out here, I'm, I'm a little bit, I wouldn't, don't want to say loose with the definition, but a little bit more lenient because I want to include things that are going for that end goal that you've talked about, that want right. to be a therapeutic, are looking to amass that evidence base, um, but they might not be yet there yet. So they're just, you know, they're still in the trial, the study phase, you know, gathering that gap, mm -hmm. the evidence, so potential Fair. new therapeutics. Um, yeah. Fair enough. And then if we're talking about, you know, wearables, obviously that's something that's on your body that is somehow getting some sort of bio signal that is then being used in some way, whether it be monitoring you or diagnosing you or, or so forth. Yeah, it, exactly. And just to give an example of something that fits, I wouldn't necessarily, it's a gray, a gray area, but if, if I came out or if I discovered a very interesting um, remote patient monitoring system that didn't use wearables, but uh, used off-body sensors, sensors in the mm -hmm. light bulb, the doors, the floor. Um, I probably, as it's not strictly wearables, I'd probably put that in the health um, technology section. But if there was a particular month where there was quite a lot of developments around that, um, then I'm, I'm always flexible with this. I'd, I'd, I'd put a section in. Sometimes the sections change. I'd, I'd maybe have a re remote patient monitoring section in, in there, you know, if there's, if there's enough news around that or fit that in the health technology section. And that makes sense to kind of put wearables and sensors together where you are talking about similar things or if you don't have another category that you're fleshing out. Yeah, you're right. It's a good call out because obviously I do have the caveat there that I call it wearables and sensors. So, yeah, exactly. It probably could fit in there quite nicely if, it, if it's if it's off body, if you like remote sensors, it can mm -hmm. still fit in that in that in that section. And then obviously artificial intelligence is where we're talking about some computer technology that's helping the physician in their decision making, whether, you know, diagnosis or whatever it might be, that it's a support system for the physician. So that seems like an obvious category for me. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really nice way to, to sort of feed it back to me, because um, obviously certain digital therapeutics might have an AI component in terms of how they use the data, predictive analytics, etc. But that would probably still, you know, I don't want to keep that in digital therapeutics. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, right, the AI where it's actually out there supporting the, the physician, mm -hmm. um, then that that's that's certainly how I how I categorize it. And then just looking at your other two categories we've been talking about is sort of the pharma part is where there's some pharmaceutical company, large, medium, or small, that's really partnering or buying some sort of med tech that they're using. So that's you know, obvious and you give us some examples. And I feel like the other catch-all is just simply health tech where there's something else that doesn't quite fit into that where technology is being used to support healthcare in some way. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And I think, it, like I said, if that got too broad or too big and there was lots of great stuff, see if I could further, you know, categorize that and, and, and um, split it out into, into other other sections that, that, that would work. Obviously, I, I want to keep the eye. The goal of this really is to to keep it readable. I mean, it, it, it usually takes three to four minutes to read. There's links in there, so if people want to dive deep into it, great, they can. But I, I try to go sort of broad, um, but also try and be fairly rigorous with the editing and try not to let, mm. to let it get too too mm -hmm. big. Because you know, a lot a lot of fascinating stuff happens every day, week, or month, so it can get pretty could get pretty big. But try mm. and try and keep it lean to about six or seven sections and you know five five minutes to read through and then if people want to dive into it you know or reach out to me then that's um that's great excellent well, i know i find it very helpful to keep up on what's happening you know each month um 
I'm just curious in the past, I don't know, a few months or maybe the past year, do you see any specific trends happening? So, for example, I notice in just what you did last month, there seemed like there was some um, things about diabetes. There were some things about sleep apnea. Uh, I'm just curious, like, is there trends that we should be thinking about in the marketplace? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I do sort of write separate things around trends, but, but usually kind of pull from this because there's quite a lot of information in each of these newsletters. So uh, it is possible to kind of join the dots um, between them. But yeah, to, to, to give you a couple of examples of things that have come through, I mentioned the kind of irritable bowel piece. There's quite a lot of work happening in the gastrointestinal space. Um, you know, diabetes is, in terms of digital therapeutics has been um, you know, big for a while. Mental health, neurology, psychiatry has been big. So that's that's continues to develop. But other other areas, uh, you know, like I mentioned, um, the gastroenterology side of things, um, female healthcare is growing. That's getting more investment. I think many would argue it's still underrepresented, but the figures I've seen, it's 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 definitely um, it's it, it's definitely growing. So seeing more trends um, around that, and a trend probably seeing a little bit of, but there's probably scope, a lot more scope is around rare disease. It's obviously orphan diseases. Often there's a struggle to get pharmaceutical treatments, but obviously to get specific treatments um, around digital therapeutics or digital health, there tends to be less. So I've seen one or two examples, but um, that's a kind of, if you like, a, a neglected um, neglected area. And, and I know I don't want to make this answer too long, but the thing I'm seeing more and more is the whole, um, if you like, the, the a lot of studies coming out around musculoskeletal, um, remote physical therapy um, and, and the benefits of, of doing that. So that seems to be a big focus area. And sorry, I'll, I'll stop going on, but I keep thinking of more. Um, I guess it's sort of tied in with the mental health piece, um, but also a substance abuse. There's quite a lot of digital therapeutics and support around that, 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 that that's, that's growing around substance abuse uh, um, and, and addiction. Well, that's great. And I really appreciate, you know, all that you are providing these great summaries and links to follow up for, you know, where we might be interested in more. Um, so where can people find you? Obviously, you have this uh, newsletter that you produce each month on the last month in digital health. I know I can find you, you know, Gary Monk on LinkedIn, but where else should people be looking and and what are you going to be putting out there? Yeah, that's a great point. So yeah, definitely, definitely um add me on linkedin you've got to find me um gary monk uh and um yeah you should be able to find the newsletter but i've actually converted it recently on linkedin into a newsletter so you should be able to subscribe to the monthly newsletter like you said tom it's called last month in digital health so you should be able to find the most recent issue there posted on my profile and be able to subscribe fairly easy and also i would say um i, I post more regularly on twitter so if you want to follow me on twitter it's at gary monk uh, there so you can follow me there and I usually post you know every day or two days on some of the more you know interesting things and you know I take the most interesting of those for my newsletter but there's a bit more information out there on um, uh, Twitter so yeah I, th I think those would be the main um, main places and, and happy if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me a message. Excellent thank you and I'll make sure to post some of those links on the website as well when I post the uh, podcast. Great. Well thank you for joining me today and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, be a pleasure. Thanks for having me back on, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Please check out medtechchat.com for more podcasts and blogs. 
See you there.